0: Chapter Two Part Three of the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume Ten Ingersoll's Closing Address to the Jury in the First Star Route Trial, Part Three of Seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Part Three. Now we come to some more. 44160. First, filing false petitions. When did we file them? July sixteenth, 1880. The proof is that they were filed long before that time. The proof is that Peck, Dorsey, and Rudell had nothing to do with this route after the 1st of April, 1879, and the petition claimed to be signed by Utah people and claimed to be fraudulent in the petition marked 19-Q. It was filed on the 7th day of May, 1879. That is a fatal variance. This indictment charges it was filed July sixteenth, 1880. The petition cannot be considered. There is another petition marked 20-Q, claimed to have been written by Minor, upon which the name of hall is said to have been forged it has no file mark whatever and consequently cannot be the petition referred to in the indictment that was filed that however has been explained by general Henkel fully this petition was identified by mcbean and was signed by him and he recognized the signatures of many of the citizens of canyon city mr merrick admitted that the petition nineteen q was never acted upon as a matter of fact orders had been made before the petition was received which shows conclusively that they were not acted upon the petition marked twenty q to which hall's name was as is claimed forged was never filed and was consequently never acted upon this charge stands as follows. Two petitions, one being filed May seventeenth, 1879, a fatal variance, and the other not filed, another fatal variance. These petitions are both described as having been filed July sixteenth, 1880. The variance is absolutely fatal, and these petitions cannot be considered. Besides, the order was made before the petition 19q was filed second the fraudulent order by brady for increase of trips july sixteenth, 1880 the only objection to this route is that the expedition was made before service was put on this was in the power of the postmaster general it has been done many times and is still being done by the post office department and the fact that it was done in this case does not even tend to show that any fraud was committed or intended that is all there is in that case the petitions were never acted upon one was never filed and the other is not described or rather is misdescribed route 48150 overt acts a fraudulent order by brady reducing service to three trips a week and allowing a month's pay on service dispensed with july twenty sixth eighteen eighty this point gentlemen i have already argued whenever the post office department dispenses with any service it is bound to give one month's extra pay any time after the contract has been made and any time after the bid has been accepted IT IS BOUND TO GIVE THE MONTH'S EXTRA PAY ON THE SERVICE DISPENSED WITH, AND THIS QUESTION, AS YOU HEARD ME SAY A LITTLE WHILE AGO, HAS BEEN DECIDED BY THE SUPREME COURT IN GARFIELD'S CASE. THIS ROUTE WAS OPERATED BY Sanderson; HE WAS THE SUBCONTRACTOR, AND ACCORDING TO THE SUBCONTRACT FILED AND PRESENTED HERE IN EVIDENCE, HE RECEIVED EVERY CENT OF THE PAY we could have had no interest in perpetrating any fraud upon that route why because another man j l sanderson received every dollar and we not one cent another fraudulent order of increase august 24 from powderhorn to barnum 7 miles no fraud was shown but the order in fact was made for the benefit of sanderson and not for the benefit of any of the defendants in this case. In other words, it was made for the benefit of the people. It was made because they wished to reach another post office. Another charge is that the subcontract made by Sanderson was filed September eighteenth, 1878. Recollect the charges about filing this subcontract. The fact is, it was filed in 1878 to take effect from July 1st, 1878. See record, page 1406. On this very route, the subcontract took effect the 1st of July, 1878, with Sanderson, and from that moment until now, he has received every dollar. This route, as a matter of fact, is out of the scheme. Sanderson carried the mail from the 1st of July, 1878, until the end of that contract, the last day of June, 1882. So much for that route. It is gone. Nobody can get it back either in this scheme. Route 40113 Overt Acts Filing of a False Oath When? June third, eighteen seventy nine. When was it filed? May seventh, eighteen seventy nine. That oath is gone. Was it false? They did not attack it. They never impeached it. Good. Second, false petitions filed. When? June third, eighteen seventy nine. All the petitions were filed prior to May tenth eighteen seventy nine. They are gone. One was filed May twenty third, but none was filed as alleged on June third. They are gone. A magnificently written instrument. A fatal variance as to every petition. And yet not a solitary petition was attacked. Every petition was genuine and honest third a fraudulent order by brady for increase and expedition this order was asked for by the petitions no fraud was established see record page 1503 on this route also page 2159 fourth they also charge that brady made a fraudulent order on the fourth of january 1881 but the government never proved that order never offered any order of that date that is the end of that order fifth a fraudulent order of february eleventh eighteen eighty one this was not offered by the government and no evidence was offered as to the existence of the order neither the jacket nor the order nor the petitions so far as i can find that is the end of that every overt act so far except some of the orders wrong the overt acts charged were filing fraudulent petitions when may twenty third eighteen seventy nine these are the petitions said to have been gotten up by wilcox mr wilcox was a government witness and he swore that every petition was honest that every name was genuine, and that in order to get the names, he did not circulate a falsehood, he circulated only the truth. To use his own language, quote, I did only straightforward honest work. End quote. That is all there is on that. Four four one four zero is the number of this route, and this evidence is on record page fifteen sixty eight and in regard to getting up these petitions you will recollect the language used by the court his honor said in effect clearly every man carrying the mail has the right to take care of his business he has the right to get up petitions he has the right to call the attention of the people to what he supposes to be their needs in that regard He has the right to do it, and the fact that he does it is not the slightest evidence that he has conspired with any human being." Deny me the right to attend to my own affairs? If I have taken the route from the government and contract to carry the mail, tell me that I cannot suggest to my fellow citizens that they ought to have daily mail instead of a weekly. Tell me that I have not the right to talk it on the corners, in every post office for which I start, and that if I do, I am liable to be pursued and convicted of an infamous offense? Every man has the right to attend to his own affairs, and he has the right to get all the people he can to help him. He has no right to go around lying about it, but he has the right to call their attention to the facts the same as you would have the right to get a road by your house. Just exactly the same as you would have the right to get a schoolhouse built in your district, no matter if you were to have the contract for making a brick. You have a right to say what you please in favor of education, no matter if you are an architect and expect to be employed to build the schoolhouse, and any other doctrine is infinitely absurd there is another charge that a false oath was filed on the twenty-fourth of may the affidavit was made by mr peck and i believe it has been admitted that mr peck never did anything wrong then there is alleged to be a fraudulent order for increase signed june twenty-six and they never introduced the slightest evidence tending to show that there was fraud in the order it was made in accordance with the petitions it was made in accordance with what we believe to be the policy of the post office department and allow me to say to your honor that i think that the general policy of the post office department as disclosed in the documents that have been presented in the reports made to congress that have become a part of this case i think even from that evidence i have the right to draw an inference as to what the policy of the department was the court i have no doubt in the world as to the views of the post office department in regard to that subject the court refused to receive evidence on that subject in defense for the simple reason that the court was of opinion that no second assistant postmaster-general had the authority to establish any policy for this government or for any branch of this government the policy of the government is to be found in its laws and the court was unwilling to allow a second assistant postmaster general to set up his policy in his defence against a charge in this court he had no right to have a policy mr ingersoll we never set up the policy on the second assistant we never asked to be allowed to prove the policy of the second assistant we never imagined it nor dreamed of it nor heard of it until this moment what we wanted to show was the policy not of the second assistant but of the postmaster general but i am not speaking now upon that branch the court the postmaster general by law is the head of the department of course but several assistants were given him by law, and he had the authority to apportion out the business of the department amongst those several assistants. The particular business of the department pertaining to the increase of service and expedition of routes belonged under this apportionment to the second assistant postmaster-general. His acts, therefore, are to be looked to. Mr. Ingersoll i do not claim if the court please that his policy had anything to do with it i simply claim that from the orders that have been introduced not of the second assistant from the books that have been introduced showing the views of the postmaster-general not of the second assistant i also admit that if the postmaster-general had ordered by direct order the second assistant postmaster-general to expedite every one of these routes even then there could have been such a thing as a conspiracy to expedite them too greatly and to receive money from every man for whom they were expedited i understand that but in the absence of any proof that it is so all i have ever insisted was that the general policy of the head of the department might be followed by any subordinate officer without laying himself open to the charge that he had been purchased that is all now gentlemen all these things had been asked they had been earnestly solicited by hundreds of congressmen by senators by judges by governors by cabinet officers and by hundreds and thousands of citizens now let me recapitulate all the overt acts and i have gone over them all now excepting one and i will come to that presently in the indictment there are twelve charges as to filing false petitions there are ten charges as to false oaths there are seven charges as to fraudulently filing subcontracts and the evidence is that the ten oaths are substantially true that it is impossible to fraudulently file a subcontract and as to the petitions that every one is absolutely genuine and honest with the exception of three they prove that the words schedule thirteen hours were inserted that is they tried to prove that by mr blois who is an expert on handwriting as has been demonstrated to you one with thirteen hours inserted in it and the very next paragraph in that same petition begs for faster time i have not the slightest idea that that ever was inserted by anybody i believe it was in there when it was signed and why there would have been there could have been there can be no earthly reason for inserting those words you cannot imagine a reason for it now that is thirteen hours then there is another one they say had some names of persons living in utah and we say that that is not described properly not only that but that it was never acted upon and in my judgment that whole thing is a mistake and not a crime because there were plenty of petitions without that. There was no need of it. All the other petitions have either been proved or have been admitted to be absolutely genuine. Now I have gone over every overt act except payment, and when it was said here in court or when the objection was made to these being proved as overt acts, the court will remember that again and again and again The prosecution denied that they were offered as overt acts. The court I never understood them as being offered as overt acts, Mr. Ingersoll. At that time, the court made just the remark that your honor has made now. He said, But what are the payments? Now I will take up the payments and we will see whether there are any overt acts in the payments, gentlemen. Now let me call your attention to that magnificent rule that has been laid down by the court. When you describe an offense, you are held by the description. When it is said that I made a false claim against the government in a conspiracy case, for instance, that I conspired to defraud the government that I presented a false claim, it may be that the laxity or lenity of pleading might go the extent of saying that the pleader need not state the amount of that false claim but if the pleader does state the amount of that false claim he is bound by that statement now that is my doctrine the court what i understand in regard to the evidence of the payments is this the charge was a conspiracy to defraud and the averment was that the fraud had been completed AND THIS EVIDENCE OF PAYMENTS WAS TO SHOW THAT THE FRAUD HAD BEEN CARRIED OUT. MR. Ingersoll. THAT IS ALL. NOW LET US SEE IF THIS CAN BE TORTURED INTO AN OVERT ACT. I NOW COME TO THE PRESENTATION OF FALSE CLAIMS CHARGED TO HAVE BEEN PRESENTED AND COLLECTED BY THESE DEFENDANTS. IT IS A SHORT BUSINESS. ON THE ROUTE FROM CARNEY TO KENT, The charge is that Peck and Vale presented false claims on the third quarter of 1879 for $550.72. The entire pay for that quarter, three trips and expedition, was $795.78. And there is no charge that the increase of trips was fraudulent. Only the expedition was attacked the three trips according to the old schedule price came to seven hundred and thirty five dollars and eighty one cents all of which was honestly carried honestly earned now deducting from the pay seven hundred and ninety five dollars and seventy eight cents the amount of the three trips on the old schedule honestly performed seven hundred and thirty five dollars and eighteen cents if the expedition was fraudulent we have a fraudulent claim of sixty dollars and sixteen cents and yet the government charges that we made a claim of five hundred and fifty dollars and seventy two cents not one cent is allowed for carrying the two additional trips without expedition there is another trouble about this it is charged that peck and vale presented this claim for their benefit the record page 386 shows that peck did not present this claim that it was presented by hm vale that hm vale received the warrant for the full amount that he held a subcontract at that time for every dollar this is another fatal variance and the evidence of vale is that every dollar belonged to him that not a dollar of that money was ever paid to any other one of the defendants that he paid all the expenses that he paid the debts, and that there never went a solitary cent to any government official. So much for that payment. The next charge is that on Route 41119, from Tokerville to Adairville. Peck presented a false claim for the third quarter of 1879 for $2,460.14 the pay for that quarter was three thousand six hundred and twenty eight dollars and fourteen cents for seven trips and expedition the pay for the three trips on the old schedule was eight hundred and seventy six dollars a difference of two thousand seven hundred and fifty two dollars and fourteen cents and yet the government charges that the false claim presented was two thousand four hundred and sixty dollars and fourteen cents IF THEY GIVE THE FIGURES, THEY MUST GIVE THEM CORRECTLY. IF I AM CHARGED WITH PRESENTING A CLAIM AGAINST THE GOVERNMENT FOR $2,460 THAT IS NOT SUBSTANTIATED BY SHOWING THAT I PRESENTED A CLAIM FOR $2,700, IF YOU GIVE THE FIGURES, YOU MUST STAND BY THE FIGURES, AND YOU ARE BOUND BY THEM. YOU CANNOT CHARGE ONE THING AND PROVE SOMETHING ELSE. This is a fatal variance. In addition to this fact, we find the deductions for failures in that very quarter amounted to $540.42, and this deducted from the other amount leaves $2,211.72, so that in both cases the variance is absolutely fatal. I am showing you these things gentlemen so that you may see that there is in this case no evidence to fit the charges in this indictment four four one four zero eugene city to bridge creek it is charged that peck and dorsey presented a false account for the third quarter of eighteen seventy nine for four thousand seven hundred and eighty three dollars and ninety nine cents The pay for three trips with Expedition was $4,689.72. The pay for one trip on the old schedule was $617, a difference of $4,072.22. The government says the difference was $4,783.99, an absolutely fatal variance. Now, as a matter of fact, there were deductions in that quarter of $1,932.83, and this is deducted from the entire pay, leaving only as a claim $3,768.39. And yet the government charges that we presented a false claim for $4,783.49, it will not do it is a fatal variance but when we take into consideration that there is no claim that the increase of trips was fraudulent only the expedition and that by the old schedule one trip came to six hundred and seventeen dollars that three trips came to one thousand eight hundred and fifty one dollars and that added to deductions would make $3,773.83. To be deducted from $4,689.22, it would leave as a fraudulent claim, even if their claim was true, $915.39. Now, the next is 44155, the Dallas to Baker City. The false claim was $8,896, by Peck. The pay per quarter was $16,666.09. The pay for three trips and expedition was $7,770, a difference of $8,896.09. But there were deductions. 99 dollars and 34 cents leaving 8796 dollars and 75 cents but by making this claim the government concedes that the expedition was legal and another trouble is that the payment on this route was made to vale not to peck or minor it was made to vale who was the subcontractor for the full amount and this is another fatal variance now, Route four six one three two Julian to Colton. The charge is that Peck and Vale presented a fraudulent claim for the third quarter of eighteen seventy nine for one thousand six hundred and fifty seven dollars and seventy one cents. The pay for three trips and expedition is one thousand nine hundred and fifty four dollars and seventy one cents. For three trips in the old schedule, it was eight hundred and ninety-one dollars, a difference of one thousand and sixty-three dollars and seventy-three cents. A fatal variance. Besides, it was not Peck and Vale. Vale was the subcontractor at full rates on this route. He presented the claim, he received the entire pay. Another variance. Route four four one six zero. Canyon City to Camp McDermott. The charge is that Peck and Vale presented a false account for the fourth quarter of eighteen seventy nine for eleven thousand eight hundred and nineteen dollars and sixty six cents. It is charged in the indictment that this was paid in pursuance of the order set out in the indictment, and we find on page sixty four that the order was dated july sixteenth eighteen eighty. That was the order. No such payment was made in pursuance of that order for the reason that an order was made nearly a year afterwards, and the order of July sixteenth, 1880, as set out in the indictment, was not retrospective, a fatal mistake in their indictment. As a matter of fact, the pay for the fourth quarter of 1879 was $5,375. There were deductions to the amount of $352.72, and the balance was $5,022.28, instead of $11,819.66. And this was paid to Vale, who was a subcontractor at full rates, and the variance in the case is absurd and fatal. Route 46247, Reading to Alturas The charge is that Peck and Dorsey filed a fraudulent account for the third quarter of 1879 for $7,485.06. This was in pursuance of the order set out in the indictment, and the only order set out in the indictment is dated february eleventh eighteen eighty one this is another fatal variance the next route is three five zero five one bismarck to mile city the charge is that miner and vale presented a false account for the fourth quarter of eighteen seventy nine for fourteen thousand one hundred the pay for the quarter for six trips was seventeen thousand five hundred dollars for three trips under the old order the pay was eight thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars leaving eight thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars at the outside sum that could have been fraudulent and yet the government charges fourteen thousand one hundred dollars an absolutely fatal variance besides that there were deductions in that very quarter of four thousand five hundred and three dollars this amount deducted from eight thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars leaves four thousand two hundred and fifty six dollars and eleven cents as the greatest amount that could by any possibility have been fraudulent three routes are lumped together next in the indictment Three eight one three four three eight one three five three eight one four zero three eight one three four pueblo to rosita three eight one three five pueblo to greenhorn and three eight one four zero trinidad to madison the charge here is on page eighty one of the indictment that minor presented a fraudulent account for the fourth quarter of eighteen seventy nine on routes amounting to $2,776.47. The greatest possible difference that could be made on Route 38135 is $777.20. The greatest difference that could be made on Route 38134 is $1,940. The greatest difference that could be made on Route 38140 is $689.51. These three differences added together do not make what is charged in the indictment $3,776.47, but, as a matter of fact, they amount to $3,396.71, This cannot be the fraudulent claim described in the indictment. But I find that on the first route there was a reduction of $12.60, on the second route of $154.38, and on the third of $38.02. And these deductions added together make $205.90 and deducted from the $3,396.71 leaves $3,190.81. And yet the government charges that the fraudulent claim was $2,776.47. It is impossible that the amount of the claims said to be fraudulent by the government can be correct but as a matter of fact according to the evidence there was no fraud upon any claim in that route the next is route 38150 sagosh to lake city the charge is that miner presented a false account for two thousand two hundred and two dollars and seventy seven cents and that he did this in pursuance of the order set out in the indictment and the only order set out is dated august twenty fourth, eighteen eighty. That is an absolutely fatal variance. As a matter of fact, Sanderson was a subcontractor on this route from july first, eighteen seventy eight, at full rates, and he carried the mail from july first, eighteen seventy eight. The route was expedited on his oath, and for his benefit no point was made during the trial that the oath was not true and the pay was calculated upon sanderson's oath and the money paid to him the only claim is that there was an error in the order of four thousand five hundred and sixty eight dollars per year and it is admitted that the mistake was afterwards corrected and the money refunded you remember it gentlemen mr turner in making up the account showing how much the expedition would come to and you understand the way in which they make up that expedition made a mistake and added to the expedition and the then schedule the amount of the then schedule four thousand and odd dollars he made the mistake and it was honestly made no man would dishonestly do it because it was so easy of detection and that was his only fault gentlemen the only crime he ever committed in this case was to make that mistake that mistake was afterwards discovered and the money was paid back by mr sanderson and yet that man has been indicted has been taken from his home charged with a crime he has been pursued as though he were a wild beast he made one mistake they could not prove the slightest thing against him There was no evidence touching him. There was only one way for them, and that was to dismiss him with an insult. You remember the case. Not one thing against that man, not one single thing. He stands as clear of any charge in this indictment as anyone upon this jury. He is an honest man. It is admitted now that there was no conspiracy on this route either it is sanderson's route not ours not only that but the government says that it was not one of the routes with which vale had anything to do or in which vale had any possible interest the failure here is fatal to the indictment and i shall endeavour to show that it is fatal to the entire case the next route is 35105 Vermilion to sioux falls it is charged that vale and dorsey presented a false account for the third quarter of eighteen seventy nine for eight hundred and eighty one dollars and fourteen cents the pay for six trips and expedition was one thousand and eighty five dollars and fifty eight cents the pay for two trips on the old schedule was two hundred and four dollars and forty four cents showing a balance for once as stated in the indictment it being the only time, of $881.14. Parties are entitled to pay for the extra trips, and the number of men and horses has nothing to do with the value of an extra trip. You understand that? If I agree to carry the mail once a week for $5,000 a quarter, and you wanted me to carry it twice a week, then I get $10,000 a quarter no matter if I do it with the same horses and the same men. That is not the government's business. You all understand that, do you not? Every time you increase a trip, you increase the pay to the exact extent of that trip, no matter whether it takes more horses or not. If I agree to carry the mail once a month for $5,000 a year, and you want me to carry it once a week, I am entitled to $20,000, no matter if i do it with all the same men and same horses. It is nobody's business. But if the government wants the mail carried faster, then I am entitled to pay according to the men and animals required at a more rapid rate. You all understand that, but as a matter of fact, upon this route vail was the subcontractor at full rates was so recognized by the government and received every dollar himself and consequently the charge that it was paid to john w dorsey is not true and is a fatal variance the government proved it was paid to vail next we have two routes 38145 Oyo caliente to parrot city and 38156 silverton to parrot city these routes are put together in the indictment it is charged that a false account was presented of six thousand and four dollars and seventeen cents and that this was done in pursuance of an order set out in the indictment the order set out is on page forty seven it is in relation to route 38145 the order was made not in relation to the other route no order as to the other route was made this was made february twenty sixth, 1881 consequently the claim presented for the third quarter of 1879 could not by any possibility have been in pursuance of that order that order was made in 1881 The payment for the third quarter of 1879 could not by any possibility have been made in pursuance of that order. The evidence shows that it was paid before, and consequently there is a fatal variance. Routes 40104, Mineral Park to Pioche, and 40113, Wilcox to Clifton. Two routes put together. The charge is a fraudulent presentation for the third quarter of 1879 of $7,064.72. The pay on the first route was $10,503.62, on the second route $3,528. No proof has been offered that the expedition was fraudulent. Not a witness was called on Route four zero one one three. Not a solitary petition was objected to. The truth of no oath was called in question. The honesty of no order was attacked. And how can you say that the claim was fraudulent? No order attacked, no oath questioned, no petition impeached. The only evidence upon these two routes was something read in regard to productiveness and the size of the mail and that is all route three eight one one three rawlins to white river the charge is that john w dorsey and Rodell presented a false account for the third quarter of eighteen seventy nine for two thousand nine hundred and seventy five dollars The order set out in the indictment was made March eighth, eighteen eighty one. Consequently, the variance is absolutely fatal, and there is no allegation in the indictment that the expedition was fraudulent. End of Ingersoll's closing address to the jury in the first Star Route trial, part three of seven. Read by Roger Moline.